You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. We're resuming our series, I guess wrapping up, pun intended, our series Christmas in the Chaos. And so we're finishing up Advent this week talking about love. So far, we've talked about hope, joy, and peace. And this week, it all accumulates to love. And I think this has been a year, as I've said frequently, of chaos. This has been a really hard year for a lot of people. And just having conversations, there are some people who aren't able to get together with their family for Christmas that they don't necessarily think it's a good idea. Maybe your Christmas is modified this year than normal. It's still, we're in the chaos. It's been a very hard year. I can say for me, for sure, it's been one of the hardest years of my life. And I think it's really interesting. I contrast that with 2015. Um, 2015 was one of the best years of my life. It was, uh, I told my friends a few years before 2015, I knew that Star Wars was coming out with their first movie in 15 years. The second Avengers movie was also coming out. And so I told my friends, I said, I'm going to get married in 2015. I just know it. And then it will be the best year ever. And that was before I had even met Maddie. And then we ended up getting married in 2015. And, and so 2015 was a, a fantastic year, easily one of the best years of my life. Both of those movies met my expectations. My wife has surpassed my expectations. Um, and it, it was just a great year. And I think you contrast that with this year. And this year might have been one of the worst years. And I, I can't say it definitely is because our daughter Elizabeth was born at the beginning of this year. But after January 18th, you know, it's not been the best. But uh, it's been a really hard year. Um, and the rest of the year after, like I said, after Elizabeth is just, I think we can all be on that page. It's just been a rough year. I mean, you know what's interesting is when I look at those two years, I look at 2015 and I look at 2020, they have something in common. They center around love. 2015 for me, I got to see movies that I love, but those movies to me aren't as big a deal as I always go see those with the same group of friends, with my dad. We all go together to see those kinds of movies. And so there's a lot of love and obviously getting to marry my wife and being surrounded by the people that we loved on our wedding day is a very special year that was full of love. And you contrast that with this year, and this has been a year where love has been difficult, Love has been really difficult this year, and I think that we're running on a deficit. Because you might have gone an extended period of time without seeing your family. Or, or if you did, it was modified, and you saw them over video chat, or you saw them and you were sitting you know, six, ten feet apart with masks on. It's just a little different. Some of you, you might have gone without being present with your loved ones at all. Our friends, our coworkers that make the things we go through day to day, you might not see them on a regular basis, even being gathered, gathering together as a church. I mean, we took several months off that we weren't able to see the people that we loved in our church for months. And then we have, on top of all this, we have all these issues come up. We have all these things that people disagree with, and our people in, in our country have become so divided and we're still supposed to love people, but we're all pretty much at a love deficit from this year. This year, I think one of the things that's made it so hard is 
we haven't experienced love like we're used to. We're a little more isolated. We haven't been showing to the love the people we did see because sometimes maybe they believe differently than we believe. It's hard to love 2020 because 2020 made it hard to love. So here we sit five days until Christmas, having gone through this vacuum of love that is 2020, and today we're supposed to be talking about love. And that's difficult, but I think it's really important. I think we need it because love is why we exist. It is because of love that we exist. As a church, we do not exist without love. Your salvation, your relationship with God does not exist without love. There is no church, there is no salvation. The Christmas story boils down to love. And I want to hop into Luke chapter 2, a story you've heard many times, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, Quirinius was governor of Syria. They all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And at the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Think about how cool that would be. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. We've heard this story so many times, and I think we forget how real it is. I think we forget how real it is. You see the nativity scene, and it's all like peaceful, and you know, it's just a really calm scene. And I said earlier that 2020 hasn't been all bad because we got to have our sweet baby Libby, but that also means that I, I saw childbirth this year. I saw childbirth... And it's not like the nativity sets, right? There was absolutely nothing that was like any nativity scene I've ever seen that happened when Libby was born. It's not a peaceful moment. We sing all these songs, peace, it was silent night. You know, it's like, this is not a peaceful process, right? It is painful, it is uncomfortable, it is messy, it is loud. It is not a quiet peaceful, silent night that we frequently picture. I think that's important. We have this picture of of Jesus as like, oh, he was just there. No, it it was birth. We have to remember that scripture is real. And then where do they put Jesus? In a feeding trough. In a feeding trough, guys. At least with Libby, they put her in like a plastic Tupperware box that like she can't roll off on a cart. It's a little weird too, I'll admit, but I feel like what happens in the story of Jesus's birth is pretty close to the equivalent of being born in a gas station bathroom and being laid in the sink. 
right? Like, I think we have this idea that this is sterilized hay. The animals were socially distanced, and they were kind of left them alone. They were like, let's just leave them alone. They seem like they're going through a lot. You know, like, this is a crazy scene that's happening. This is an absolutely crazy scene. And this is God being born in this gross, far less than ideal scenario. How many of you guys have seen the movie Aladdin? I'll take either one, the live action or the cartoon. So like eight of us or everybody else just doesn't want to raise their hand. Um, (laughs) If you haven't seen it, it's not that new, but you should check it out. It's a really great movie. Um, There's a scene in Aladdin where he wants to impress the princess. So you have Aladdin who's kind of like this homeless kid with a pet monkey, and he finds a genie, and he's like, hey, I want to impress this girl. And so he has this parade pretending to be a prince. And there's this whole song, and Robin Williams is hilarious, and he's riding on an elephant that the, the monkey was, and now he's an elephant. But anyway, so he comes into town, and it's this huge parade. But in reality, he's still a homeless kid with a pet monkey, right? It doesn't make him a prince. There's all this fanfare for this kid. And Jesus is the opposite. If there's anyone that deserved to ride in and have a huge parade and all these songs and say, hey guys, the Messiah is here, it's go time, it's God being born. But he wasn't. He was born in the equivalent of a gas station bathroom and laid in a sink. We have the God of the universe who so, I don't want to say quietly because I just said you can't say quietly, but so quietly in the scheme of the world made his grand entrance. Why did he do that? God left heaven in the form of Jesus to come here in that crazy scenario. He went from his nose and his nostrils being filled with the scent of heaven, which I don't think we can even comprehend here, to the scent of livestock in a feeding trough. And he did it for you. The God of the universe sent his son to be born for you. And it's not like the little light-up nativity scene out there. This isn't like Aladdin. He's not pretending to be a prince. This isn't God pretending to be a human. This is God being a human for you. He has... He comes to earth for no other reason but for God's love and his desire to save you because you were headed for hell. Again, it's not something we talk about a lot. You were headed for hell. I think we forget that. We think we've been saved so long enough that we've kind of earned some kind of something. I've already been gross this morning, so I'll just keep it going. Um, This morning, I was awoken by Zeke, our three-year-old, who he sleeps in a pull-up, right? So it doesn't make a mess. Still, he's kind of potty trained. That's not important. Um, So I come out to check on him because he comes in our room, and he comes out, and he's completely naked. And then I find his pull-up, which has poop in it, laying over there. And I'm like, what? What has happened? I'm like barely awake at this point. I'm like, what is this? What, what situation have you gotten yourself into? And you know what someone who's selfish would have done? Deal with it yourself. I'm going back to bed. 
But you know what a loving father does? He says, I see your mess. I love you. I'm going to clean it up for you. So I went back to bed. Um, No, just kidding. (laughs) What God does is he sees you in your mess and he says, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going to fix it. is our mess. The grossness that we were covered in, that that was the best we were capable of. That was our trying. He says, you know what? I'm coming. I love you so much. My son, I love you so much. My daughter, I'm coming for you. This is the love of Christmas. That God left heaven and the beauty and the amazing, again, I said smells and, and who knows what other colors exist there that we've never seen. And he leaves all of that to come down to our gross and he's born into gross to save us from it. Because God so loved the world. He so loved you. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It is because of love that we exist. This has become one of my favorite chapters. It's it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You hear it at a lot of weddings. I feel like that's a misrepresentation of what this passage is. It's such a deep, rich passage. I want to look at it this morning. Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and what? Endures all things. This is the kind of love that the Father has for us, is what's written in this passage that he gave his son to be put to death for us. We have the whole picture. We can't just see Jesus as a baby and stop there and say, cool, see you Easter. That it's, it's not how it works. When we see Jesus being born in the nativity, we know that that baby is headed to death on a cross for us. Christmas doesn't just stop at, oh, this is cool, let's open some presents. We have the whole picture. We know that this baby doesn't sin, he heals, he raises the dead, he loves people, and ultimately he defeats the grave. He lived a life of love. I think when you read those last few verses there, it says, love is patient. When we think about the Father's love for us, the Father's love for us is patient and kind. The Father's love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant, it is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at long doing, but the love of the Father rejoices with the truth. His love bears all things. His love believes all things. His love hopes all things. His love endures 
all things. How'd you guys read it? Because I love that last part. It endures all things. God doesn't give up on loving us. He doesn't stop loving us when we talk bad about another person. He doesn't give up on us because we aren't living like we should. Or he doesn't stop loving us because we keep trying to do things our own way. His love is patient and kind with us. Praise God. And the way we framed this series is these things that we experience, Advent, are not just for us to have, but for us to give. So we have this love that we've read We have this love from God, and it is our job to act it out. It is because of love that we act. We put this love into action. The love that this passage that we just read from 1 Corinthians, the love that it describes should be how we love the people in our lives. That's how he starts off the passage. He said, it doesn't matter anything you do if you don't love. You could be a Sunday school teacher, give all of your money to the poor, start an orphanage and die for the cause you believe in, but it's all worthless if you don't love. It's not about what you do, it's about how you do it. Husbands, if you don't believe me, go home tomorrow, clean the whole house, do the laundry, fold the laundry, we all know that's the worst part, cook dinner, clean up the dishes, And then when you sit down, say, hey, honey, do you remember all that stuff I did earlier? I think I want to buy a new truck. (laughs) And then let's talk about how the how matters or the why matters, right? Because she's going to go, that's why you did all this stuff? And it's going to be worthless. It's going to be absolutely worthless. But I can tell you if you're on your way home and you see a pretty flower on the side of the road and you stop and you pick it and you take it home to her, that will mean way more than all the stuff you did so you could ask for something. Motive matters. Why you do things matters. God doesn't just want our tasks. He wants us to love. When the Pharisees ask Jesus what the most important thing you can do is, his answer is love. Love God, love people. He didn't make a list. He didn't say, oh, you know, make sure you're really good people. That's probably the most important thing. He doesn't say, make sure you never miss church. That's number one, never miss church, always tithe. That's one and two. No. Not about the stuff. It's about the love. Love God. Love people. That's what it all boils down to. I think we fall short of putting love into action because we don't understand the love that we've been given. We sell it short. The first part of this message is is very important so that we can act on the love. We have to fully understand the love that God has given us. I think if we did, it would be a natural reaction to love people from it, to give that love to the people in our lives. We should stop coming up with reasons we can't love people or shouldn't love someone and find ways we could love more. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, starting in verse, sorry, 43, says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? If you just love the people that are nice to you, if you just love the people that agree with you and that think the same things you do, where is God in that? That's easy. You don't need God to love the people that agree with you and who are just like you. You need the love of God to love the people that hate you, to love the people that you disagree with on huge issues. Paul says in Romans, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were enemies of God. You were an enemy of God. And what did he do? He gave his perfect and only son for you, his enemy. But all we want to do is type back a mean response or uh, completely ignore people that we disagree with, maybe avoid them. God gave his son for us while we were his enemies. So if we have the love of God dwelling in us, if you've experienced the love of God, it should be our natural reaction to love everyone, no matter what their opinion, no matter what their beliefs, no matter what their lifestyle. We are called to love. 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves have been, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We should be known by our love. It's really the difference in salvation and not. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I love people? When we think about the person who might be the hardest to love, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's someone you disagree with politically, maybe it's someone you don't support their lifestyle, think about that person and ask God to begin to soften your heart toward them that we would understand the love he has given us so that we can love them with the same love. That we would experience the love of God in our own lives on such a deep level that we can stop selling short the love that he has for us and, not, and let him infiltrate our hearts as deeply as he can. Amen? Let's pray. God, let us be people who realize that we exist because of love and that we would put it into action. God, the song we sang this morning is so perfect that we would understand the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love that you have for us, that it chases us down, that it fights through our barriers, it kicks down the walls that we put up, chasing after us. Let us have that same love for the people around us. 
Let us experience your love on such a deep level. Understanding that this Christmas is the story of the God of the universe entering into our filth to clean up our filth. Because you are a loving Father. And let us be that to the people around us. Let us be people who are identified because of our love and our hope and our peace and our joy. But overall, our love. Thank you, God, for how you love us. Soften our hearts to the people that it is hard for us to love. And let us see them with your eyes. It's your name we pray. Amen.